What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And welcome back to the KPL Podcast. I am your co-host, Jagisha Patel. Not just for some, but forever. Oh, wait. I'm your co-host, Ryan Drinkard. I'll stop singing now. Actually, that sounded really nice. I think you should keep going. Finish the whole song. Thank you. Although copyright issues, but... (laughs) That's true. I should stop there. (laughs) This week, Ryan and I are diving into the world of rom-coms, starting with my conversation with author Amy Reichardt about her latest book, The Kindred Spirit Supper Club. From there, we'll be moving on to a rom-com-themed reader's advisory, where Jagish and I are going to be talking about some of our favorite rom-com films. So, which film do we pick? Well, you might wonder. Just stay tuned. All this and more just ahead. Our guest today is best-selling author Amy E. Reichert. She is the author of The Coincidence of Coconut Cake, Love, Luck, and Lemon Pie, The Simplicity of Cider, and The Optimist Guide to Letting Go. Her newest book, titled The Kindred Spirit Supper Club, has been called a best book of April by Bustle, BuzzFeed, Pop Sugar, Midwest Living Magazine, and has a starred review from Booklist. Thank you for joining us, Amy. Thank you so much for having me, Jagisha. Oh, absolutely. This is so much fun for me. So just jump right in. Tell us about your book, spoiler-free. Okay, so the Kindred Spirit Supper Club is about Sabrina Monroe. She is forced to move back to her hometown to face the figurative and literal ghosts of her past. Uh, her family has a secret. The women can see the recently deceased, and they help them with any unfinished business. Uh, and unfortunately, this caused quite a bit of problems when Sabrina was growing up. So she has some pretty severe anxiety and some childhood bullies who made fun of her for being different when she was younger. Uh, So when she moves back home, the one upside is she does have a best friend and her best friend happens to be a rom-com loving ghost named Molly, who they've never been able to help with her unfinished business. So Molly has taken it upon herself to help Sabrina get the happy ending that she never ever got. So when there's a new handsome supper club owner in town, Molly decides to poke and prod and try and get things going in a more positive direction. So that's sort of the quick little, and then antics ensue. (laughs) Of course, when you've got a ghost who loves rom-com, I could just see that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So as you were writing the book and as you're writing about the Sabrina, Molly and Ray, who is the the supper club uh, restaurant person. Yes. Did you learn anything unexpected about your characters? And who's your favorite there? Who was fun to write? Molly, hands down. Molly was so much fun to write. She, every once in a while, it's only happened a couple times in my books, a character will pop into existence fully formed. And that was Molly from, as soon as the idea to incorporate that element into the book appeared, she just was there as this perky, delightful best friend who we'd all wish we could have. Um, the, the, the thing that surprised me about my characters, hmm. Well, when I initially started writing this, I did not have, Sabrina did not have the anxiety that she ultimately has at the, in the finished product. So that was something that evolved the more the story developed. It became more and more apparent, apparent how traumatizing seeing ghosts as a teenager and as a young a preteen even would be, you know, 
if you have to hide this big secret, especially in this modern age where I think kids are more savvy and more hyper aware of what's going on around them. I think she was picked on for, you know, interacting and talking to people who weren't there. Uh, and that really affected her. So that was something that evolved. And I really focused on how, you know, exploring how strategies of, of, of coping with anxiety, you know, what tools there are, how she fails at using them to begin with. Um, and then also how I wanted to incorporate how people around her could be supportive, you know, cause, cause I think mental health is becoming something we finally are talking about a little bit more. And I really wanted to focus on not only how it is for the person that is experiencing it, but also those around. So yeah, that was sort of a surprise. Oh, nice, unexpected, but in a good yes. way. <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit more about the family business. So it seems like there's a generation of, several generations of women who, mm -hmm. uh, do the men also see ghosts too? The, the men do not is strictly a, a woman thing. When I was sort of creating this mythology, uh, way back, you, you, I go in strange little places when you're researching things. Mm -hmm. And as this was, as I was trying to figure out how this might work, practically speaking, um, I, in my mind, it's tied way, way back to uh, a biblical reference, which is to the witch of Endor. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, she sort of had this ability to connect to the deceased. And so I just sort of evolved it. So it's just strictly women. And it, comes about the talent comes about around puberty so when everything else is going haywire you get this added bonus of seeing the undead uh and it is i mean I, there's some really specific rules that i've created like there's a geographical restraint because they aren't the only family in the world that does this uh it's there there are people all over the world and so you kind of have a an area that you're responsible for. And if you go outside your area, which is what Sabrina did, she moved away as quickly as she could from the Wisconsin Dells, which was her family's area, then you don't see the ghosts in that area. So that was like her way of getting out of it. Uh, and it was only when she moved back that she was able to see them again. So there's just this, this strange little rules I've made up. That's half the fun of the story. So it is. I didn't realize, yeah, that if she had moved out of the area that she wouldn't be seeing her ghosts, so. yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the reasons why as soon as she could get out, she left the dolls and didn't want to come back. So some of the themes that I noticed reoccurring in your books is family and food. Could you talk more about those two themes? And, and are you a chef yourself? Do you? I am not a formally trained chef. I have never been to cooking school, uh, but I do love to cook. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when you are working, as you know, I'm sure you know, uh, when you're working full-time, the last thing you want to do it at the end of the day is down mm. make dinner. So there's a difference between loving to cook and having to cook. So I love it when I have the time. Uh, and I certainly love trying new recipes. I love baking. I just, I, what I love about food and why I incorporate it into my books is because it is one of those universal things that everybody experiences. Everybody has to eat. Mm. And so we're familiar with flavors, even if there maybe aren't flavors that we consume on a daily basis, where we use food to celebrate, we use food to connect to other people, we use it as an expression of love. So all of these things, to me, really lend themselves nicely to incorporating into fiction. Uh, and, and then I take it up a notch by adding in the extra element of focusing on Wisconsin cuisine and the, the food traditions in this state where there's, yes, lots of cheese, 
and lots of dairy. But we have other things like some specialty pastries, Friday night fish, fish fries. Um, you know, up in Door County, we have the fish boils, which a lot of these have seeds in our immigrant past, be it the Germans, be it the Scandinavians, um, so and the, the Danish. So we have all these different pieces that come in. So I like to explore that and to share that through my fiction. I also noticed at the end of your book that you have a recipe for Wisconsin style brandy old fashioned. Yes. So, and um, from what I read that this is a, a Wisconsin version. And correct. Tell us more about that. So a traditional old fashioned, if you go into a bar almost anywhere, is going to be almost all booze. It is made with some sort of brown liquor, usually whiskey or bourbon. And then the bourbon and the booze is then muddled with bitters, sugar, orange, and cherry. And then it's usually served up over ice or shaken and poured up neat. And in Wisconsin, we have two different twists on this. One, it's made with brandy. And not only, and, and most of them are made with Corbell brandy, which is like really cheap. <laughs> Uh, so it's just sort of a traditional, that's what everybody uses. Mm -hmm. And then the other twist is after we've muddled and mixed and put it on ice, we then add soda. So either a sweet soda, like a Sprite or a sour soda, like a 50, 50. And now it becomes more of a cocktail that is very drinkable. It's not quite so straight and strong. And it is the perfect pre, during, post, uh, dinner drink. So it's, it's just really delicious. And I've had a few of them in the last few weeks to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'll have to try it. I don't think I've tried the Wisconsin version. Yeah. So yeah, and it is, it's funny because if you order, like if you were to go to most, especially like little local mom and pop kind of places here and order an old fashioned, you would be asked, do you want that sweet or sour? And it would automatically be made with brandy. Whereas if you go outside the state of Wisconsin and ask for an old fashioned, you'll get what I described initially without the soda. And then it would probably be made with like a rail bourbon or something like Jim Beam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's very good. As you're researching the book, was there any new fun facts that you learned? Um, ooh, that's always a good one. And I feel like I should have this like on the top of my um, shelf. Well, yeah, one of them was, so the whole ghost Molly string came about because I was in the Wisconsin Dells doing research on the book. And I, on the main drag is a place called Ghost Molly Showboat Saloon, funny enough. Uh, <laughs> and I, I did some research because I, I was looking for something local, some sort of lore to incorporate in the book. So I Googled Ghost Molly and there isn't a whole lot of information about her, but she did live in an apartment above what is now the saloon. Uh, when she was alive, it was a candy store, uh, and she died up there, and her haunting, she usually just flicks lights on and on, uh, on and off, or slams the doors in her apartment. Apparently, it was so bad that they no longer rent that apartment <laughs> to people, oh, so wow. it just sort of is empty, but there wasn't a whole lot about her, so I took, took this opportunity as my, my chance to tell her story in my fictionalized version. So that was a lot of fun, but I thought it was kind of cool that this salute, that what's now a saloon, which is actually like a bar restaurant, used to be a candy store. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, yeah, very neat. They were to turn this book into a movie. I always love this. I always like asking this question, especially with, with books that are, are romance novels, who would play who in your ideal? Okay. 
so this is always a little embarrassing for me because I totally like the love interest is like always who I'm crushing on, like who my celebrity crushes. It's a nerdier version of Henry Cavill with an American accent because and that's so Ray in the book has a really deep voice and that mm-hmm. totally came from from Henry Cavill because he's got a delicious yes. low voice that I just love and when he has like slightly longer hair on the top it's kind of slightly wavy and kind mm-hmm. of floppish and um he's a super nerd like he's into gaming and all this stuff. So I'm, that's, that's where a little bit of Ray came in. And so I think he would be a hoot except for he's a little bit too built. Like, like, I feel like Ray is more Mm -hmm. has a tech physique versus a, I'm going to kill monsters physique. (laughs) Um, But so that's, that's my Ray in my head. Brina's always tricky. I really think like 80 Bryant, um, she's, She's on SNL. She's super funny, but also she also stole, she's in the the Hulu show Shrill. I think she would be great because she has the I think emotional bandwidth, and she also is kind of awkward. She can do awkward. She can do sweet. She can mm-hmm. do endearing. I think she'd be really great. And then I always envisioned Molly in as three potential different people. Either a young Reese Witherspoon, a young Kristen Chenoweth, mm-hmm. or if you can picture the movie in the movie Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, one of the characters is blonde, has like her name is Queenie in the movie, and she has mm-hmm. the short blonde curls, and she's like, "Hi, sweetie," mm-hmm. uh, and I just kind of so she's some so to me Molly is sort of an amalgamation of all of those perky blondes there, so I don't. Yeah, I don't know what the actress's name is for that though. But you know, hey, I'm sure they could use some magic and age down Reese Witherspoon. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, those are all all great choices. Yeah, I hadn't thought about Christian Chenoweth, but yeah, I could see her as as Molly for sure. And then yeah. Rick and and Henry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's one of my just yes. too from watching The Witcher. <laughs> oh, I love The Witcher. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> The books were unexpected to me. They were not, I, I think that is an instance where I prefer the adaptation versus mm-hmm. the book. They, I think there was something delightful lost in translation. But yes, oh, very fun. We won't, this could quickly turn into a Witcher podcast, but we won't. <laughs> that That'll be fun too. Maybe I can talk my co-host into doing that. <laughs> there you go. I'll come back. I'll be your guest. Oh, absolutely. We can talk, absolutely. We can talk The Witcher. Yeah, and I can go on about Henry all, you know, for all. Oh. <laughs> we could become a Henry Cavill podcast. We, we've got options here. We do, we do. Are you working on a new book? What's next for you? So I am currently drafting, uh, I'm in the first draft, which is always crazy. Uh, my next book, all I'm really going to say about it is it's a Christmas book and it's set in Milwaukee. And there, there's still food and there's still sort of a magical element. Um, but yeah. So I'm very excited. It should be fun. It is hard to write Christmas in spring though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to get into the mindset, especially when the weather's just starting to warm. (laughs) Exactly. And the one of our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests is, what are you reading or what should we be reading? So I am currently reading uh, People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. 
which mm -hmm. is out in a few weeks. It's fantastic. But what I think everyone should be reading is Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin. It is a Pride and Prejudice retelling set in a Toronto Muslim community, and it is A plus fantastic. It's so great. Uh, it's funny. It's charming. Uh, and for being fairly chaste, it still has some very there's a lot of steam to be had, even though there's not steam on the page, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, it's wonderful. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorites, too. I only recently finished it. So, yeah, it's a oh. recommendation. Excellent. And I do have her next one that just came out. I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. So as we wrap up, what do you want readers to take away from your book? I want readers, at the, well, specifically with the Kindred Spirit Supper Club, I want them, because one of the things in the book is Sabrina, because she doesn't, she's so awkward and she doesn't connect directly with people very easily, she has developed this method of doing tiny little acts of kindness as her way of feeling connected with the community. And it's, it's almost absent-minded sometimes, like picking up towels that fell in a puddle that from the neighboring table at the water park. Um, or she does something very intentional, like going to the library and leaving little notes and a little $5 bill in the books as sort of a, hey, I love this book. Hope you enjoy it too and have this treat. Uh, so they're just little things. And I hope that when people finish reading this one, they just feel better about the world. And two, it maybe inspires them to try and make at least one person's day a little bit better every day. That would be the two things. Mm -hmm. Feel good about themselves and do a little thing, little act of kindness. Oh, absolutely. But I, I like the idea of leaving a little bit of money in the books. I could do that as you yes. know, go across the shelves and leave a gun and be like, here, have a good day. Yeah. I think that <laughs> would be a fun little surprise. You're picking up a book. Now I'm gonna, this is gonna start a thing where people are like scavenging libraries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for money but it, I think that would be a fun little surprise to open up a book you know oddly I have not done that I just thought it would be a fun idea yeah I know that that sounds like fun I think I might try that <laughs> yeah I like that I might have to do that too that would be fun would it might be giving it away if I put it in my own book so I'll have to pick other books well yeah yeah well you're on the board so you could just go into your local library and do it <laughs> that's true our guest today is Amy E. Riker, and her book, the, the Kindred Spirits Supper Club, is available at the Kirkwood Public Library and wherever wonderful books are sold. Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. Hey, everyone. It's Ryan jumping in to give us a break from the pulse-pounding KPL podcast excitement, and I'd like to talk a little bit about summer reading. Tales and Tales is this year's theme, and it kicked off on May 15th. It will run to August 8th. Uh, you'll want to visit the website at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org and click on the summer reading link to sign yourself up, your family up, to log your pages, and to complete challenges to win fabulous prizes. In fact, you may not know it, but you've just completed a challenge. You've completed the podcast fan challenge, and your secret code word is BARK. So drop BARK into the podcast fan challenge section to win yourself an extra raffle ticket. Now, back to the show. All right, Ryan, are you excited to talk about rom-coms? I know how much you love this genre. 
Well, admittedly, it is not one of my favorite genres, but I think I can swing it, though I would warn our listeners that Jakisha's recommendations will be the better one. Mine, go ahead and take with a grain of salt, though I will defend them as best I can. All right, so should I go first, or do you like to go ahead and start us off? Why don't I start us off? I will start with my favorite rom-com, and if I've recommended this before, well, then I'm sorry, but here it comes again, The Princess Bride. Now... I probably don't need to tell everybody what the Princess's, Princess Bride is all about, because that movie has existed for some time. It is part of our popular culture. I will say, if you haven't watched The Princess Bride in a while, well, now's the time. Let's watch it. What do you yes, think? I agree. Princess Bride is a great movie. And, you know, it's one that I've watched multiple times, and it still never gets old for me. I still enjoy the all of the lines. I actually find myself, you know quoting along with the actors. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think uh, the hallmark of a fantastic film is how quotable it is, and The Princess Bride remains one of the most quotable films. It is filled with so many good actors delivering so many good lines. I don't I don't think I have a favorite line. Um, maybe, uh, maybe, hey, Abbott, I hate that guy. Mm. <laughs> There's a difference between dead, dead, and mostly dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic movie, Princess Bride. If you haven't seen it, I, that is in my top ten. Go out, check out Princess Bride. It is, uh, apart from being a comedy, it is, at its heart, a love story. Shikisha, what do you have? Well, I have one that is probably from 2001, so it's a little bit older, just like Princess Bride. It is Chocolat. Oh, yeah. I've seen that one. So that's one of my all-time favorites, and I actually own the VHS. <laughs> <laughs> that, that dates us. I guess <laughs> I own the VHS, um, and this is just one that I've always enjoyed. It's got a little bit of magic in it. Um, it stars Johnny Depp and Juliette Binoche, and she comes to a mystery, a town and opens up a chocolate shop. Now, if I recall right, and it's been a very long time, but wasn't this filmed in Tuscany? I want to say like the background is almost a character unto itself. Perfect. Yes, it is okay. set in 1959. It's supposed to be a French town, but okay. I think they did film it in Tuscany. And, you know, the scenery is very beautiful. But the story is just so much fun to watch. Um, just let it unfold. And I, like, I've watched it multiple times. Partially because I own it, but also because I just really like the film. It just is one of those feel-good films that you just want to, when you're having a bad day, it's a good film to put on the put on the TV. Or just a good Friday night, date night movie. <laughs> I have this, uh, similar things where I have, if I'm in a certain mood, I have to watch a certain film. Like, uh, if I'm sick, it's either Jaws or Alien. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm not. I'm not going there. Let's uh, let's move on. Uh, with my next one, I was going to recommend Scott Pilgrim versus the World. This is probably a little less than a romantic comedy, even though it is a, its heart a romance as well. It is a comedy uh, that is based off of a very popular uh, manga series, uh, which I can't say I've read, but I've seen the movie, so I enjoyed it. Uh, it stars uh, Michael Cera, the fellow from Arrested Development, as the titular Scott Pilgrim, where he's trying... He starts dating a character called Ramona Flowers, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And, uh, but in order to date her, he's got to battle her seven ex-lovers and uh, wackiness ensues is very much a love letter to like video games uh the entire the entire thing kind of feels like a uh, uh you know a side scroller beat-em-up 
Uh, and they're very aware of that. They, they, it's over-the-top, special effecty, uh, kind of cutesy. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds it. I haven't seen that one, so I'm not as familiar with that one as I am with Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. But, listeners, have you noticed how there's a theme with Ryan? First, there was Shaun of the Dead and zombies and, and romantic comedies. <laughs> and now we've got video games. <laughs> So for me, like, I get why people like romantic comedies or just romance. And, like, frankly, I like that as a component to my story, but I could not base, like, the entire story around that. It's uh, uh, the Dark Phoenix saga at its heart is a love story between Cyclops and Jean Grey, Jean Grey sacrificing herself on the moon. If the X-Men Dark Phoenix saga was nothing more than that, then it would be very boring to write. Okay, makes sense. Mm -hmm. So romance writers, take note. Throw Wolverine attacking Sentinels in it, and you've got a good story. Well, there's a whole subgenre in books. Right. You know, a lot of it's urban romance or paranormal romance. A mm-hmm. lot of those have all this other stuff happening. Characters Careful. with superpowers or magical powers. Which can make it a challenge for librarians just to, to describe something because no one book is one thing, you know. And so I've, I've read so many mysteries where I'm like, I have no idea how I would classify this. And, and to the world, it's a mystery thriller, but I don't know if I would could go along with it, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And romance has got to be the trickiest of all those, I would assume. Yeah, but you know, it has got the biggest reader base because mm-hmm. romance novels have the biggest, the biggest best-selling genre there is. A lot more people read romances than you would think. I mean, apart from before being a librarian, I was a bookseller. And, oh, of course. You would know that, dog. <laughs> Silly me. I remember display after display of the Harlequins alone and how much they would go out the door. And so I, it, I don't doubt it. It's, it's, and it's got a good fan base for a good reason. So I think you're up. All right. So my next one is uh, Sliding Doors. Oh, yeah, the Gwyneth Paltrow film. Yeah, yeah, I always enjoyed this one. I'm not a big fan of Gwyneth Paltrow, so to pick one of hers is is kind of a big deal. But <laughs> this is one that was just a lot of fun. I like the way it's basically set in two timelines. So mm-hmm. what happens is that in one timeline, she is is running to catch a train, and she misses the train. Mm-hmm. And in the second timeline, she actually catches the train. Mm-hmm. And so it's her life unfolding, depending on which... Um, whether she caught the train or not, and how her life is very different. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was a, a fun film, and it is a, ro- a romantic comedy at its heart, but I also liked sort of the, the fantasy, science fiction-y element to it, which there's a theme to my romantic comedies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing that I always found interesting about that film is the, the is what you say, the the sci-fi element, that, uh, that if, but by whatever, by the, you know, there go I kind of thing. There's an X-Files episode with the late Peter Boyle whose powers is prognostication and he gets it because he gets super invested in the story of how the Big Bopper died, that he was on the plane with Buddy Holly, but he wasn't supposed to be on the plane with Buddy Holly, that it was decided by the flip of a coin and he becomes obsessed with the this man's life all hinged on just a flip of a coin. Mm-hmm. So, And that's kind of very similar in Sliding Doors, that everything that happens, happens because either she gets on the train or misses the train. Right, exactly. Because I think when she catches a train, she ends up getting home early and catches her boyfriend in bed with another woman. Mm-hmm. And versus in the other one, she doesn't. And so her then that sets off a whole series of events. Interesting film. It Interesting was. Interesting premise. It is. I loved it, and I highly recommend it. So it does have Gwyneth Paltrow, John Hanna, 
John Lynch, and Jean Triplehorn, an actress that I really like. Yeah, I, I think all in all, uh, a whole lot of good cast of the films we've recommended today. So, How about yourself, listeners? What is your favorite romantic comedy? Well, guess who wants to know? It's Jagisha. But course. I do as well. <laughs> so please, 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 please tell us. You can tell us at... Podcasts at KirkwoodPublicLibrary.org Well, as Ryan and I head off to watch more of my favorite rom-coms, like 13 Going on 30, and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, it leaves me enough time to thank our guest, Amy Reichert. Make sure you check out her book, The Kindred Spirit Supper Club. We hope you return next Friday as our guest will be Professor Warren Binford with her book, Hear My Voice. The Testimonies of Children Detained at the Southern Border of the United States. It's sure to be a compelling conversation. We now leave on a quote from one of the all-time classics in the world of romantic comedies, When Harry Met Sally. When you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. We love you, listeners. Till next week. Look to your fellow man, lend him a helping hand, put a little love in your heart. <laughs> <laughs>